0: Hear the gospel of our Savior Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. Glory Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed these murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, "Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are cold, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. It is a uh, as a as a recent um, recently ordained priest. It is a pleasure to be back here. Um, uh, it is uh, also mildly traumatic. And so it's exciting to have survived the process that you find yourself on. Um, I uh, went to my barber today, and and, uh, I I found that only after I started attending CITI did I have to begin conversations with my barber about how I was going to cover the hair I am now lacking. Um, It used to be so much bigger and fuller, and I used to be so much more slender, and I had no kids when I started this journey. It's all been a thing but it's exciting to be here. Um, It's it's been an incredible journey. Um, It was an incredible, um, this has been an incredible place to be. Um, And uh, so I'm really privileged to be back here and to be able to preach to you and hopefully offer you both some comfort, but maybe a nice bit of challenge um, from this incredibly challenging passage in Matthew, which comes in the middle of um, an account that Matthew weaves which is kind of, to my mind, Jesus's all-out assault on the imperial and religious establishments of his day. We read tonight this parable in chapter 22. But this kind of movement begins, I think, at the beginning of chapter 21, when Jesus parades into Jerusalem on a donkey in the same week and possibly on the same day that Pilate entered on a war force, making a mockery of the power that empire claims to hold. And then Jesus, having come in in this uncharacteristic, um, disruptive way, he goes straight to the temple where he sees tables set up throughout this holy place. And these tables are designed to stop and to slow the journey of those trying to get to the presence of God in order to extract money from them. And so furious, Jesus flips tables and begins to create space for the blind and for the lame and for the outcast. Comforting them and healing them. And then, having had a busy day, he retires to Bethany. The next day, he's hungry and he passes a fig tree. It has all the outward appearance of what should be fruitfulness, but produces nothing that can nourish. And so he curses it. It's a visual parable about the religious leadership and institution that he's challenging and confronting. He shows the tree for what it is. It draws nutrients from the soil, but takes those nutrients and converts converts them not into fruit, but into leaves. Not into the production of something life-giving, but into the projection of life that has nothing to offer. Religion at its worst. By cursing the tree, he makes its internal reality visible in the external. The same thing he is doing with his prophetic denouncement of the toxic religious systems that he And then he tells three parables. But I think in the mind of Matthew must have been connected. That's why he lines them up this way with these accounts of narrative and these these parables. He he holds them all together in one theme, in one kind of stream of what Jesus is confronting. The first parable he tells is one about two sons, one of whom had the right answer, but the other who did the right thing. Then he tells a story about wicked tenants and occupied the land of their master, but kept its wealth and its blessing for themselves. And then finally we come to this one. That's where this sits within its context. That's what it's built on top of. That's the movement. That's the kind of wave it's surfing, as Matthew writes this. Often I have heard this particular parable as leading us to the message, will you accept Jesus' invitation to the banquet? and I personally don't find that a compelling perspective on this passage, particularly not set within the fiery context that Matthew places it. This, to my mind, is a stinging rebuke of religious people who place all of their identity on the fact that they were invited to the party, but at the end of the day, never showed up. The king didn't invite, at the beginning of the story, all in sundry. There were specific people that he invited to celebrate his son's wedding. It wasn't a free-for-all, it was quite an exclusive shindig, one that the religious leaders of Jesus' day would have taken great pride in being on the guest list for. But they didn't show up. They went back to their farms and to their businesses. At the end of their day, their interest was in their own lives rather than in the life of the king and of his kingdom. And so the king will not stand for it because the idea of an empty table is an abomination to him. So he tells his servants, do what it takes. Fill this place. Bring in the good and the bad. But there's only one condition. They have to enter into the banquet in wedding robes. Blomberg and Eliot both argue that these robes were not something that somebody had to save up and buy in order to access, but rather that in in this kind of a context, a wedding robe would have been provided And so their argument is that this isn't a case of a man who was not able to afford it, but rather of him refusing the only thing that was asked for him, that he take on the embodiment of the party, that he fully participate, that he enter into the spirit of the celebration and treat it with reverence and joy. Much can and has been said about the final line. Many are called, few are chosen. You might consider it for a dissertation topic. It's uh, much India's been spilled, and I very much doubt that I will uh, solve it tonight. But one of the things that I was really challenged by is by taking it in the context of everything from the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, this building momentum of narrative and parable, and then movement towards. The seven woes of Jesus confronting the religious leaders in Matthew 23 and at the end of that chapter his lament over Jerusalem and, and, and him saying how I wish I could have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks like a king gathers his subjects into a feast, how I wish I could have gathered you but you wouldn't be gathered that in the context of that I can't help contrast the challenges of being Blomberg argues that the many here could be rendered all, giving us all our hold, which I think would resonate. All are cold, but few are chosen. Chosenness might be something we think of or reflect on as being more than just being invited, but rather something at the heart of what it means to be the people of God. Because from the beginning of God's story, God chooses people to reach his people. He chooses Abraham and his descendants, and he blesses them, not for their sake, but in order to, but he blesses them to make them a blessing to the world, to reveal himself and his goodness in and through them as a means of his mission, the gathering of all people to himself. At this moment, with Jesus in Jerusalem, the time has finally come for the party that the world has been waiting for and the VIP list who have based their whole identity on their chosenness. Choose not to come. They have forgotten who they're called to be. I have a, a story that I very much uh, uh, that I enjoy telling, but it also brings me great shame. So hopefully, you'll enjoy my shame while I tell it. And uh, there. Uh, when I first started speaking at youth events and stuff like that, I began to take great pride in being invited anywhere to share my opinion. I've now come to see that as something that can be a poison chalice, depending on um, how it goes. Um, but I remember I was invited to speak in, uh, not, not just in Ireland, but to, I was going to be flown out to the Netherlands to speak at a youth camp, and I was like, a pretty big deal. It's pretty, like, I'm not just being invited, you know, to the local youth center or like that. I'm being invited to go to the airport and onto a plane to go and speak to people about Jesus. I'm a pretty big deal. So uh, uh, this began to take take hold um, and, and, uh, and I want to make all these excuses and give you all these caveats. I was, I was working really hard the night before trying to solve a problem with my dad's computer, which if you're part of the younger generation, you know that, that, that challenge. Um, but I was up all night and I didn't even go to sleep. I just went straight to the airport and I flew out. and I arrived in Amsterdam and we drove for two hours out to this youth camp. I hadn't slept even on the plane. I was absolutely exhausted. i have been talking to this person in the car, who I didn't know. And that's always awkward. And I get there. And uh, they asked me, you know, they said when you get there, when I got there, you're so welcome. Is there anything we can get you? And um, I was like, I do love, I just love a cup of coffee. I'm just caffeine starved, you know. I'm just, I'm just very tired. And uh, um, we were standing in the kitchen, and the woman said, Oh yeah, sure thing. The coffee machine's in the corner. Now I didn't say this out loud, but in my head I said, Make my own coffee. Do you know who I am? Now, I didn't say that out loud. But God apparently still hears (laughs) thoughts. I had been called to go and to be a blessing to people. But I could only see my role in that space as a vehicle for my own blessing, from my own building up, to be served rather than to serve. I thought this was a party about me, rather than a party I was supposed to invite the whole world to be part of. And it's the same mistake I think the religious leaders of Jesus' day make. May we not forget who we have been called to be. May we show up to the party take on the wedding robe and be transformed into the embodiment of the kingdom we're invited to participate in with whole hearts and whole lives. And may we gather all those from the highways and byways to bring glory to God and joy to the God who loves a full house.